0: If you have a copy of God's Word, you may have a printed copy like I do, or you may have a digital copy on your phone or on your iPad or something like that. Let me encourage you to hold it up and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word, it is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end. And truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth. For what we believe. And how we live. Now if you're new with us or you're searching for answers. You're not a follower of Jesus yet. You're probably wondering why we do that. Well every single one of us has a source of authority in our life. We have something or someone that we go to that we believe holds truth. And for us, we believe that is God's word. We believe the Bible is God's word and it is a perfect word for us today. And so I want to encourage you to turn with me in God's word to Revelation chapter eight. Revelation chapter eight. And after you find that, I want you to humor me for just a minute and close your eyes. And with your eyes closed, I want you to imagine the most horrifying thing that you could possibly imagine happening to planet Earth. I know that's something we don't like to think about, but do it for me. What is the most horrifying thing that you can you can picture in your mind that could happen to planet Earth? And you could have thought about storms, you could have thought about wars, you could have thought about nuclear disasters, you could have thought about cosmic chaos, you could have thought about plagues, you, you could have even thought about an alien invasion. But I want you to know that what we read about here in Revelation 8 and following makes anything that you could picture in your mind pale in comparison to what is going to actually happen on planet earth. When we come to Revelation chapter 8 and 9. We see God's judgment intensifying. It's becoming more and more horrifying. The judgments that we've already seen. That have taken place during the tribulation. Have been bad enough to seal judgments. We've seen world war. We've seen famine. We've seen natural disasters. We've seen death on a scale in which one-fourth of the population dies. The people who were here at that time could not possibly imagine that it could ever get worse. But as the seventh seal opens, all the horror that they have already experienced will not compare to the horror that is about to be unleashed. The opening of this seal unleashes the trumpet judgments, which in turn unleashes the bowl judgments, which culminate in Christ's return. Now, I think a question that we should ask is, why doesn't God just get it over with? Why doesn't God just put an end to life on planet Earth? Why doesn't he go ahead and judge the wicked? The reason is because God loves us. God isn't prolonging judgment because He hates us. God isn't postponing His judgment because He despises us and He wants us to feel the full extent of His wrath. God is postponing His judgment because He loves us, and He wants us to experience His mercy and His grace. In Ezekiel thirty-eight verse eleven, it says, "As surely." As I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. In 2 Peter 3, verse 9, that we've already talked about, it says the Lord isn't really being slow about his promises, some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. You see, God longs for the world to turn to him and live the way that he created us to live. But in the end, God will judge the wicked. God will judge those who reject him. So I want us to get started. And the first thing we see is the breaking of the seventh seal. Look at verse 1 says, when the lamb broke the seventh seal on the scroll, there was silence throughout heaven for about half an hour. Now, in our house, when our kids were young, silence was golden. I mean, when you have four kids that are from birth to 10 years old, and every one of them is as loud as their dad. Every one of us is longing for silence, and we hardly ever get it. But, dear friends, silence isn't always golden. Sometimes it's just a law before the storm gets worse. And what we see here in Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, isn't a peaceful silence. This is an eerie silence. If you've ever gone through a hurricane, you you know what I'm talking about. In Florida, when we lived there, we went through four hurricanes. Hurricanes, And when a hurricane comes, the storm comes, the rains come, the lightning comes, the wind comes. And you're going through the hurricane, the storm of the hurricane. And you're feeling all of the intensity of this storm. But then there's a lull. The wind stops blowing. The rain stops falling. The lightning stops coming down. And you can even see the sunshine. And there are some that think the storm is over. But. The storm isn't over. It's just a lull in the storm before the storm gets worse. And that's what we see here in this silence in Revelation chapter 8 verse 1. For the first time most likely in all of eternity heaven is silent. Heaven is a place of around the clock praise and worship. 24-7, all the time, God is being praised. And yet, at this point in history, everyone in heaven is holding their breath, waiting to see what happens next. Think about the man in the courtroom who is standing before the judge and he's waiting for the sentence to be brought down. Am I going to go free or am I going to be put in prison for the rest of my life? The, the silence as you're waiting for the verdict to be issued. Think about the patient who just had surgery to determine whether they're going to live or die. And you wake up, you come out of the surgery and there's the doctor standing over you. And there's silence as you're waiting for the doctor to tell you, am I going to live? Or am I going To die. In heaven everyone is waiting. Everyone is watching for what is next. And then in verse 2 we read, I saw the seven angels who stand before God and they were given seven trumpets. According to Numbers chapter 10, trumpets were blown to announce three different things. First of all, they were blown to announce the coming together of the people so that they could go on their journey. Second, the trumpets were announced to to issue a time of rejoicing, a time of celebration. But then third, the trumpets were blown to issue a time of battle, a a time of war. And it seems that this trumpet is blown, issuing God's declaration of war on the world. And the seal is open. And as it is, the next thing we see are the prayers of God's people. Notice what it says in verse 3. Then another angel with a gold incense burner came and stood at the altar, and a great amount of incense was given to him to mix with the prayers of God's people as an offering on the gold altar before the throne. Smoke of the incense mixed with the prayers of God's holy people ascended up to God from the altar where the angel had poured them out. Then the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar and threw it down upon the earth, and thunder crashed, lightning flashed, and And there was a terrible earthquake. I believe this is a reference back to Revelation chapter 6. If you recall, when the seal judgments were taking place, the fifth seal judgments announced that there was going to be a time when, when those who gave their life to Christ during the tribulation would be martyred. They would be put to death for the word of God and for their testimony. And these martyrs are under the altar there in heaven. And it says in Revelation 6, verse 10 that they're crying out to God, O sovereign Lord, how long before you judge the people of this world? How long before you avenge our blood for what they have done? And I believe the question that was asked in Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, is answered in Revelation chapter 8, verse 5. The prayers that they prayed are now being answered. God's wrath is now being poured out on planet earth. I want you to notice what happens. The people pray, the prayers go up, and then the wrath comes down. Dear brothers and sisters, you need to understand that God always hears. God always answers our prayers. Not always on our timetable. Not always according to our timing, But God always answers our prayers. The saints were praying that God would issue revenge. God would get them, those who who put them to death. God tarried. But finally, his wrath is coming. And as God's wrath comes, we see these trumpet judgments being poured out on planet earth. Now, the first four trumpets bring natural disasters to the planet. And before it's all over, one-third of the planet is destroyed. Now, some people interpret these verses here symbolically, but I don't think there's any reason to do that. As you read these verses, you discover that they are written literally. They're not written in symbolic language. And as you look at the prophets in the Old Testament, you discover that both Joel and Isaiah refer to times in the future just like John is seeing right here. And so the first trumpet judgment, verse 6, then the seven angels with the seven trumpets prepared to blow their mighty blast. The first angel blew his trumpet in hell and Fire mixed with blood were thrown down on the earth. One-third of the earth was set on fire. One-third of the trees were burned. And all the green grass was burned. The first judgment reigns hell and fire mixed with blood on planet earth. It destroys one-third of all the vegetation, one-third of all the plant life. You will recall that, that God brought hell on Egypt that destroyed the vegetation. You'll recall that it was hell and fire that God rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah and destroyed those cities. Can you imagine what will happen when one-third of the land on planet Earth is turned into a wasteland? The vegetation affects the balance of nature. It affects the air that we breathe. It affects our food supply. It will be devastating. People will be fighting in the streets for a piece of fresh fruit. People will be fighting in the streets for a piece of a vegetable. And on top of that, we are told that the pasture lands will be destroyed. This will devastate the milk and the meat industry. There will be famine on planet earth like the world has never seen. We saw famine when this third seal judgment came. But that famine is nothing compared to this famine. But that's just the beginning. Then we see the second trumpet judgment. Then the second angel blew his trumpet and a great mountain of fire was thrown into the sea. One third of the water in the sea became blood. One third of the things living in the sea died. One third of all the ships of the sea were destroyed. Now remember, the oceans cover three fourths of the world's surface. So if one-third of the oceans are contaminated, one-fourth of the world is contaminated, covered with blood. What this literally says in the Greek is that a large mass, as large as a mountain, is thrown into the sea. Time Magazine had an article several years back where scientists projected what would happen if an asteroid one mile in diameter hit in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean 2,000 miles from shore. The impact would be equivalent to a 500 million megaton bomb. 500 million megaton bomb. It would displace 1,000 cubic miles of seawater it would create a tidal wave over a thousand feet high and earthquakes a thousand times worse than ever recorded. Could this happen? Well, scientific journals, newspapers, even Reader's Digest forecast that this is a distinct possibility. But dear brothers and sisters, I want you to know that this isn't just a possibility, this will happen and when this asteroid hits into the ocean one third of the sea will turn to blood animals will die ships will be destroyed marine life will die in record numbers oil spills will make anything that has happened in the past look like a drop on a kitchen table imagine beaches covered with blood and oil imagine the stench from all of the dead people and the dead animals Today, there are over 50,000 ocean-going merchant ships registered. One third of them will be destroyed at this time. And this is just the beginning of God's judgment. Then there's the third trumpet judgment. Then the third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from the sky, burning like a torch. It fell on one third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star was bitterness or wormwood. It made one third of the water bitter, and many people died from drinking the bitter water. The second judgment affected the ocean salt water, but this judgment affects the fresh water. Somehow, some way, another Meteor, another asteroid, affects one-third of all the fresh water in the world. This, this asteroid, this star, this meteor, God calls it wormwood. Wormwood is a bitter plant. And God uses this asteroid, this meteor, to literally poison the water. How does he do that? I don't know. God could do anything he wants to do. He's God. But I imagine that perhaps as this large asteroid comes into our atmosphere. It breaks apart and it goes in many directions and it is falling on the fresh water supplies all around the world. And one third of the fresh water supply is infected, is contaminated. We won't have water to drink. One of the most well-known poems of all time is The rhyme of the Ancient Mariners. A poem written by Samuel Coleridge and The poem contains one of the most famous lines ever written in poetry. And the line is this, water, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. And that's how it's going to be during that day. There's going to be water, but it's going to be contaminated. It's going to be poison and to drink it will make you sick and make you die. You may not realize how dependent we are on water, but 65% of our bodies are water. 65%. Can you imagine what it will be like just dying for a single drop of water? But then we have the fourth trumpet judgment. Verse 12, then the fourth angel blew his trumpet and one-third of the sun was struck, one-third of the moon, one-third of the stars, and they became dark. And one-third of the dark was day, and, or one-third of the day was dark, and also one-third of the night God withdraws the light. But that not only means one-third less light, that means one-third less heat. That means one-third less energy. Did you know that darkness affects us? Darkness causes depression. It causes despair. It causes many other emotional and physical problems. Now, how does God do this? How does God reduce the light by one-third? We can do it any way he wants to. He spoke the world into existence. He can flip a switch. He can say a word, but... But maybe this is the result of all of the chaos that has taken place in the natural order. Maybe as these earthquakes and maybe as these volcanoes are erupting and all of that ash is going up into the sky and the atmosphere, it is just darkening and blackening the sunlight and we can no longer have that light anymore. Think about it. At this point, One-third of the vegetation, one-third of the oceans, one-third of the fresh water, one-third of the light has been affected by God's judgment. But what has happened is nothing compared to what will happen next. Listen to what it says in verse 13. Then I looked and I heard a single eagle crying loudly as it flew through the air, terror Terror, terror, woe, woe, woe to all who belong to this world because of what will happen when the last three angels blow their trumpets. What is about to take place to the inhabitants of earth is that hell is going to be unleashed. Now there are two different words that can be used in the Greek language to describe the inhabitants of the earth. The first word Describes the people who just live here. But the second word, the word that is used here in this text, refers to someone who settles here, who plants their roots here, who makes their home here. And the Bible says this world is not our home. And yet most people, most people live their lives as if this world were our home. In James chapter 4 verse 4, James says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy to God. God has given the people of this earth another warning to turn from their sin and turn to him because these next two trumpets bring demonic suffering and death. To the people of this world. Now listen to what it says in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 9. It says, Then the fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star that had fallen to the earth from the sky and he... And if your Bible is open, circle that and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. When he opened it, smoke poured out as though from a huge furnace And into surf sunlight and air turned dark from the smoke. With the blowing of the fifth trumpet, the doorway to hell is opened and hideous demons invade and attack the people of this world. Now notice first this leader. It says, I saw a star that had fallen from the earth Or to the earth from the sky. Now this is different than the stars that we read about in Revelation chapter 8. And the reason that it's different is because this star is referred to as a he. This isn't an it. This isn't an asteroid. This isn't a, a, a star up in the space. This is a being that is in the heavenlies. And I want to remind you that the Bible says that Satan is the prince of this air. The Bible calls Satan the morning star. If you recall, Jesus said in Luke that he saw Satan falling from the heavens. We see that in Revelation chapter 12. We see that in Isaiah chapter 14. So the star that had fallen, past tense, is none other than Satan. And we are told that he is given the keys or authority to open the abyss. You need to understand that Satan has no authority apart from God giving it to him. Some have this idea that Satan and God are on a level playing field fighting against one another. But that's not how it is. Satan has power only because God allows Satan To have power. Satan has authority only when God gives him authority. And in Revelation chapter 1, we are told that Jesus holds the keys to death and hell. He holds the keys. But in Revelation chapter 9, he gives Satan the keys to the pit. You say, what is that? Well, this is the demonic penitentiary. We read about it in Luke chapter 8 verse 31. We read about it in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4. It's it's a place where the foulest of all the demons are sent. And Satan opens up this abyss. You remember when Jesus cast the demons out of the man named Legion? Do you remember that? Do you remember what those demons said? They said, don't send us to the abyss. Send us into that herd of pigs those demons didn't want to go to the abyss and these demons are ready to get out of the abyss imagine for just a moment all the prisons of the world opened and all the foulest the most vicious prisoners in the world set free to do whatever they want to do on humanity imagine how horrible that would be Well, those are just human beings. When the abyss is open, spiritual beings are set loose on humanity. Spiritual beings that hate us because they hate God. Notice what is inside the abyss. It says, then locusts came from the smoke and descended on the earth, and they were given power to sting like scorpions. They were told not to harm the grass or plants or trees, but only the people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were told not to kill them, but to torture them for five months with pain like the pain of a scorpion sting. In those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. These demons are so wicked, they are so vile, that they have been locked up until this special day. And understand, there are two kinds of demons today. There are demons that are roaming free on planet Earth, looking for people to possess, looking for people to destroy. But then there are demons that are locked up until either they are set free for a specific time like this, Or they are locked up until their day of judgment. And these demons are unleashed. You say, Rocky, uh, it says they're locusts. Well, these are not ordinary locusts. And we're going to see that in a minute. I believe that this is descriptive of what these demons look like. These demons can't kill. But they can torture to the point that you want to die. I believe that we're not going to be able to see these demons with our physical eyes. But their torment on our lives will be evident. In his book, Piercing the Darkness, Frank Beretti describes how demons can torment people. And though that is a fictional book, I believe that much of what he says is factual in the way that spiritual warfare is being raised in our world today and will be raised during these last days. It will be so bad that people will want to die. It will be so bad that people will try to die, but they won't be able to die. But notice, those that have the seal of God on their forehead, these demons cannot harm. Remember that God puts a seal on the forehead of 144,000 missionaries that he sends out into the world to share the gospel and I believe that that those who come to faith, who receive the gospel during this time, receive that seal as well, and they are protected during this time. Notice the description that that John gives us in verses 7 and following. It says, the locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. They had what looked like gold crowns on their heads. Their faces looked like human faces. Their and they had hair like women's hair and teeth like the teeth of a lion. They wore armor made of iron. Their wings roared like an army of chariots rushing into battle. They had tails that stung like scorpions. And for five months, they had the power to torment people. Their king is the angel from the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, in Greek, is Apollyon, the, the destroyer. And what do all these things mean? Some people try to tell us in earthly terms what this means. And they describe these things in terms of different weapons and different armies and different things that we could see in the future. And I think all of that is just crazy. I think that this is a demonic army that is going to be set free to torment the people of the world for five months. Now, notice what their leader is called, the destroyer. Remember what Jesus said in John 10? He said, I've come that you might have life and have it to its fullness. But the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. You need to understand today that Satan will promise you anything. But ultimately, his desire is to destroy you. But what's amazing is this torment is just the beginning. The sixth trumpet is blown. Notice what it says. The first terror is passed, but look, two more terrors are coming. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice speaking from the four horns of the gold altar that stands in the presence of God. And the voice said to the sixth angel who held the trumpet, Release the four angels who were bound at the great Euphrates River. So they're bound. So these aren't heavenly angels these are demonic angels then the four angels who had been prepared for this hour and day and month and year were turned loose to kill one-third of all the people on the earth i heard the size of their army which was 200 million mounted troops In my vision, I saw the horses and the riders sitting on them. The riders wore armor that was fiery red and dark blue and yellow. The horses had heads like lions and fire and smoke and burning sulfur billowed from their mouths. One third of all the people on earth were killed by these three plagues, by the fire, by the smoke, and by the burning sulfur that comes from the mouth of the horses. Their power was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails had heads like snakes and the power to injure people. Again, I believe that this force that is unleashed upon man is not physical. I believe it's spiritual. There are some that try to say that this army of 200 million people are people who are possessed by demons that come from various places. And you can hear different people say different things. But I don't believe that is what is happening right here. I believe a demonic horde is unleashed on planet earth. The people of this world and they inflict pain and suffering and death one-third of mankind is going to die when you add that with the people that have already died during this time over half of the population of the world has been killed now why did God do this why didn't God just destroy everyone? Why just one-third? Why? Is it because God wants to prolong the agony and the pain and the suffering of people? No. God's not like that. God doesn't desire for you to experience his wrath. He doesn't desire for you to feel the pain and the suffering that comes From sin, God's desire is that you would repent, that you would turn from sin, place your faith in him, and follow him. And if you do, he will give you mercy and grace and love. And you would think, you would think, by this time, the people of the world would be on their knees begging For mercy, begging for God's grace. Because understand, by this time, no one was in the dark. By this time, everyone knows what is happening is the judgment of God. And so, do we find the people on their knees begging God for mercy? Listen to what it says. But the people who did not die in these plagues still refused to repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. They continued to worship demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their witchcraft or their sexual immorality or their thefts. These people understand that the wrath of God is being poured out on them because of their sin. And yet instead of turning from their sin and asking God for forgiveness, they curse at God. They refuse to repent. We have this idea that the people that are going to be in hell want to be in heaven. It's not true. That's a lie. The people in hell aren't going to want to be in heaven. They may not want to be in hell, but they don't want to be in heaven. Because in heaven, for all eternity, we are submitting to God. We're worshiping God. We're doing what God desires Because we love him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. And the people in hell have said, I don't want you, God. I would rather be in a place called hell than have to bow down and worship you. I read this and I wonder how. How could anyone? How could how could anyone possibly turn down the mercy and the grace of a loving God? And yet, and yet, the overwhelming majority of people in the world do. How do we get there? We live life our way. We do what we want to do. We believe the lies of this world. And before long, our heart has become so hardened to God that we don't want him. We would rather spend eternity in hell separated from him. And though I know that many of you here today have a relationship with Jesus and you've repented of your sins and you've placed your trust in Jesus, I cannot but believe but there are some of us here who have never done that. Oh, we may have been dunked in a pool of water. We, we may have come down front in a church service. We may have prayed a prayer. We may even give some money and we may occasionally read the Bible and we may go to church. But, but deep down inside, we know. We know that we've never humbled ourselves before God. We know that we've never turned from our sinful, self centered living, trusting Christ alone to save us, following Him the rest of our days. No, listen to me. If you're here and you've never done that, you're not saved. The Bible says for us to be saved, we have to repent, turn from sin. And place our entire faith and trust in Jesus. And then surrender our life to him as Lord. And if you're here and you've never done that. Oh well, please. Please don't leave this room. Without doing this. Because every day you wait. Your heart gets a little harder. And it gets a little easier to walk out and reject the love of your creator. So if you're here and you know that you need to surrender your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you to do it today. Would you bow your head with me? Did you close your eyes? And with your head bowed and with your eyes closed, if you're here and That's what you're ready to do right now and I encourage you to humbly pray this prayer to him right now, dear God. I humbly come to you this morning admitting that I am a sinner. I've been living life as if I were on the throne. I've been living a self-centered, self-directed life. I've been living my way not yours. Forgive me. Jesus, I know you came to this earth. I know you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I know you rose from the grave defeating sin for me. Today, I'm asking you to save me. Placing my faith in you. I'm turning from sin. From this moment on, I want to live for you. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer.